You're listening to the sermon podcast of Galveston Bible Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit galvestonbible.org. But mostly, from wherever you're listening, we hope that the Lord ministers to you through this week's message. This morning, uh, to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 3. Uh, Today, last week, we began a sermon series on this amazing book of Ephesians. And I told you at that time, and I'm going to say it again, my plan is to move really slowly through this book, uh, at least initially, uh, because there's so much in here. I want us to truly savor uh, every single word that we come across. Uh, There's so much precious, life-giving truth in these words that I believe that it would be a disservice uh, to you, to the church, to move too quickly through this uh, book. Uh, So my goal in these sermons is to build you up on a firm foundation, a firm foundation of truth. And that's why we are going to carefully lay every brick of truth, so to speak, so that you can uh, have a firm foundation on which to build your life, a foundation that not even Satan himself uh, could shake. Uh, Last week we did mention that we are in a spiritual warfare that although God uh, is present with us today, also the forces of uh, darkness are with us as well, uh, trying to undo everything that I am saying, trying to tell you that this is a bunch of garbage, that you don't need to listen, that this is not true, uh, trying to get you to think about uh, the games that are going to be played today on TV or what you're going to eat or whatever it is. Satan is alive and well and seeking to distract. And so I want to remind us of that. And so I'm going to ask you, before we read Ephesians 1, I want you to turn to the end of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, Uh, so that we can always be uh, mindful that we are in a spiritual warfare. Throughout this book, we see what God has done for us, but we also see Satan uh, at work as well. He hates what we are doing. He does not want you to understand this. He does not want you to apply these truths because he knows that if you actually listen to them, apply them to your lives, that you will be empowered to do amazing things for God, things that will last through eternity, and Satan does not want that. And so Paul warns us at the end, and that's how I want to begin today. He says this in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Understanding these truths upon which the word, uh, upon which the armor of God is built will ensure that you and I are able to stand against all of the onslaughts of the evil one. And my question as we begin, we begin today is this, do you want to stand? Do you want to stand? Do you want to overcome the anxiety that is in your life? Do you want to overcome the depression that is in your life? Do you, in your life? Do you want to overcome that, that constant sense of failure in your life? Do you want to overcome the, uh, the, the spiritual impotence that you feel in your day-to-day lives? Then I want to encourage you to listen to what I say, to meditate upon it, and then to apply these truths to your life. This morning, my plan is to do a tad bit more of introduction and then to focus in on the first part of verse 3, the phrase, the God and Father of our Lord 
Jesus Christ. And so, uh, let's read this together. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. This is the very word of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This ends the reading of God's word. Let's look to him uh, as we seek to understand what this means. Father, we thank you for who you are. We just pray against any kind of distractions that might happen right now. We know that Satan wants to uh, wants for us not to hear these things, not to apply them. And so I just pray, God, that you would give me clarity as I speak, that I would depend completely on your Holy Spirit, that I would not be trying to uh, wow anyone, that I would not be trying to use persuasive words of man's wisdom, but that I would preach in demonstration of your Holy Spirit. And so we just pray that you would guide us today, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know if you've ever seen those, uh, someone give a, uh, either a live presentation of a new product or a video presentation. Uh, I remember when I was growing up, we would go to these conventions and there would inevitably be someone that was showing a new product uh, and they would just wow you with all that this product could do. As they're going through the presentation, uh, you would hear, they would say one amazing thing about the product and then you would hear that repeated phrase, but wait there's more, right? But wait, there's more. And by the time that they were done with this presentation, you would have been a fool not to purchase this product. I mean, they, you had to because it was so convincing. I remember one time I was uh, shopping for a computer and the sales uh, man, he knew, he knew a whole lot about this computer uh, and what it could do. And as he's telling me all this stuff, I'm just amazed and my mind is going in a million directions and I'm thinking, wow, I could do this and I could do that and I could do this and I could do that. And, and, I, and I just couldn't wait to purchase this, uh, this computer. And I did. And the sad thing is, is, with most of the electronics that I buy, I never even got to a tenth of what this computer could do. I never got into a tenth of tapping into the power and the ability of that computer. Here in Ephesians, the master presenter, the apostle Paul, lays out one amazing truth after another about what God has done for us. And just and, and it seems like he doesn't even give us time to reflect and meditate properly on one amazing fact before he almost in a sense says, but wait, there's more. There's more. And that's what we're going to be exploring over the next several weeks and months. And by the time we're done, I hope that you realize, and not even by the time we're done, but each sermon, that you realize that you would be a fool not to give all that you have and all that you are to acquire this. And the beautiful thing is that this is free. It is free for the asking. <clears throat> and so let's dive in uh, to our passage today. Last week, like I said, we did some overview. There are just two more things that I want to point out from the first two verses in Ephesians uh, chapter 1. The first thing is that Paul identifies himself as an apostle of, uh, of Christ Jesus by the will 
of God. An apostle means a sent one. Uh, Paul was sent on a mission. He was called by Jesus, uh, and he was sent on a mission. He was sent on a mission to proclaim the wonderful truths of the gospel that we are going to see in this book as we, as we work through it. The one who called him was Jesus himself, and Jesus called him because it was the will of God. Now, Several weeks ago, we were doing a sermon series on foundational truths that we believe in. During that sermon series, we said that we believe uh, that the Bible teaches that there is one God who exists in three distinct persons. Um, Those three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are all seen in this first chapter of Ephesians. God the Father and God the Son are seen in the first couple verses and then throughout. And then the Holy Spirit is introduced to us in verse 13 when Paul says this, When you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. We will see that all three have a distinct role in our salvation. But even though they have a distinct role, all three work in perfect harmony to accomplish our salvation. So realize as we start today that you and I, we have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all working to ensure our salvation and that the things that are promised in this book will actually come to pass. The second thing that I want to point out before we move into verse 3 is Paul's phrase, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, usually that's an introduction. Um, Paul uses the same greeting in most of his letters, and our temptation is just to glance over that quickly. There's not much truth in here, but there's a ton of truth in that statement. Grace to you. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is when you get something that you don't deserve, and also when you don't get something that you do deserve. And both are in here. God's grace involves both aspects. It involves getting something that you don't deserve, mainly, namely God's favor, God's forgiveness, God's mercy, And it also involves not getting something that you do deserve, namely God's judgment, God's wrath, God's disfavor. This whole book is filled with God's grace directed at you and me. Grace is mentioned 12 times in this entire book. Nine of those times, that is three quarters of the time, in the first three chapters, which as we said last week, contain no commands, just statements of fact about what God has done for us. And as we grasp this amazing thing about what it means to be given grace by God, what flows from that grace of God is peace. Peace with God and peace from God, a supernatural peace. Grace means that we have peace with God, as we will talk about, and therefore because we have peace with God, we can receive that peace that comes from God. Peace, I don't know about you, but peace is something that we all need and want so desperately. In a a world that is so filled with anxiety and uncertainty, we can have peace in the midst of all of it, knowing what God has done for us. In between the 8.30 and 11 uh, a.m. services, I am currently teaching a class 
uh, called Identity in Christ, uh, where uh, we are learning about what it means to be in Christ, to be identified with Christ. And uh, we're learning a lot of stuff, but one of the things that we learned is that the biblical teaching that you and I as Christians are pardoned from all of our sins— and made, and made righteous in God's sight because of what Jesus has done, that fact ensures us, it gives us the ability to fight against the lies of Satan. Satan comes against us and he wants to steal our peace. He wants to defeat us. But we can have peace because of the fact that our sins have been forgiven. We can have peace in the, in, in the midst of life's worst storms. One of the things that I encouraged the uh, attendees of this class to memorize was this short phrase that says this, I am pardoned of all of my sins and accepted as righteous in his sight, but only for the righteousness of Christ given to me and received by faith alone. And I told them that this is a statement that you should repeat every day of your life, whether you're having the best day or the worst day ever. Let me show you what I mean by that. Let's just paint a picture. Let's talk about the worst day ever. Okay? So you go into work. And while you are at work, you get fired in the most humiliating of ways. I mean, you are embarrassed in front of everyone. And you walk out of there with your head down, full of shame. You get into your car and you're driving home and you get into an accident and it's your fault and the car is totaled. Okay? By the time you finally do get home, the house is an absolute mess and there is a call. You get a call from the doctor. The diagnosis from your biopsy last week has come back and it is not good. It is, in fact, cancer. That is a really, really bad day. And when you lay your head on your pillow at night, confident that sleep is not, you're not going to be able to sleep, you can lay your head on your pillow and say this, I am pardoned of all my sins and accepted as righteous in his sight, but only for the righteousness of Christ given to me and received by faith alone. And by saying that, you can have peace. You can have an overwhelming peace. You just lost your job. And now Satan wants to flood your mind with anxiety. But you can have peace knowing that as Paul says in Philippians 4, that your God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. You can know that you have an inheritance, as we will see in the weeks to come, that is imperishable and undefiled, that will never fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And even though you've lost everything financially, you are still rich. And the, and, and the riches that you will receive one day will not just last 60, 80 years. They will last forever, never to be taken away. And you can even have peace at the diagnosis of cancer, knowing that as, as, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.16, that though our outer man, our outer person, our body is, is fading away is wasting away, our inner man is being renewed day by day. And you can have confidence in the fact that this body, this mortal body that is subject to disease and and depression and death will one day put on immortality and death will be swallowed up in sweet victory. This past week, 
my mom would have celebrated uh, her 78th birthday. But as it is, she, her body lies in a cemetery in Michigan, decaying right now. Cancer had eaten her body and killed her. But that's not the end of my mom's life. Her body will be raised again one day. And so it doesn't matter what happens in this life. You can have peace in the worst of circumstances. And here's why you can have peace in the worst of circumstances. Because the absolute worst thing that could ever happen to you, worse than any job loss, worse than any cancer diagnosis, worse than any loss of relationships or failing of a class, the worst thing that could possibly happen to you is that you would be separated from God forever in a place called hell. And as a Christian, that has been completely taken off the table. You will never, ever be subject to the wrath of God. And so that's why I say, on your worst day, because of the fact that your sins, the only thing that would separate you from God, because they have been taken away in Jesus, you can have peace in the worst of circumstances, knowing that if everything is taken away, I still got heaven one day. And that lasts forever, not just a short time. You are right with God. And that is why you can have peace in the worst of, uh, of the storms of life. Well, for the time that we have remaining, I want to begin to talk about verse 3. And I want to focus just on that phrase at the beginning that says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word blessed there is an adjective. Okay, uh, that's important because if you remember your uh, high school or grade school English classes, an adjective is a descriptive word. Uh, I have a gray car. Uh, gray describes what kind of car I have. It's, it's the color uh, gray. Okay, uh, this phrase, the reason it's important to know that this is an adjective because this phrase is not us blessing God. This phrase is describing who God is, okay? And that is very important. I'm not sure if you've ever noticed, uh, but a lot of the songs that we sing in worship on a Sunday morning are not directed at God. A lot of them that we did today, most of them that we did today were directed at God, but a lot of the songs that we sing are actually directed at each other. They're all about God, but they're directed at each other. Okay, now lest you think that that's unbiblical, that is absolutely biblical because in Ephesians 5 verse 19, he says this. He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You and I are to sing to one another. Yes, we are to sing songs directly to God, but we are also to sing songs to each other about God. God is honored and worshiped when we talk about him or sing about him to other people. In the uh, 90s, there was this amazing basketball player by the name of Michael Jordan, who played for the Chicago Bulls. Um, you couldn't help but admire his skill. Anyone who would talk about him the next day, you know, at work or at school or whatever, and said, did you see that game last night? Did you see Michael Jordan? Anyone who would talk about him like that would honor him with their words. In the last 10 years, um, anyone who, uh, you look at a, a guy like Tom Brady, 
right? Whether you like the New England Patriots or not, you have to admit that Tom Brady is an amazing quarterback. He's an amazing quarterback. And so when you talk about him the next day after a game about how amazing he was, about how he played, you are honoring him. Same with someone like Serena Williams, an amazing tennis player. If you talk, did you see that game? Did you see Serena Williams? You are honoring her by talking about her in that way. In a sense, what you're saying is you're saying this. I just got to, I'm just standing in awe of, of Tom Brady, how he played. And I just got to tell someone about that. And here's the thing. Tom Brady may never hear you say that. You're, you don't have the privilege of calling up and saying, hey, Mr. Brady, I just want to tell you, you did an amazing job last night. No, he may never hear you, but yet he is honored by the way that you are talking about him. This first section in Ephesians chapter 1, I'd like to think of as a song that you and I sing to each other. It's a song that we sing to each other about God. We are not saying, you are blessed, Lord. What we are saying is that, hey, come here. I got to tell you something. God is blessed. God is blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what does the word blessed mean? Well, it means inherently well spoken of or worthy of praise. Inherently well spoken of or worthy of praise. God is inherently worthy of your praise. Why is he worthy? Well, he's worthy for two main reasons. Because of who he is and because of what he has done. He is worthy of our praise because of who he is and what he has done. And what he does flows out of who he is. Okay? The entire Bible describes these two aspects of God. Now, who he is and what he does further involve two more aspects of God. Namely, that God is transcendent and God is imminent. Okay? Well, what do I mean by that? Those are some pretty big words. What do I mean by God is transcendent and God is imminent? Well, transcendent means that God is above and beyond us and our understanding. God is above us in our understanding. He is beyond us. God is completely unlike us, and God works completely independent of us. When God is making a plan, he doesn't say, hey, Jason, I need to ask you, what, what's your advice on this? Okay, he doesn't do that. He is completely independent of me, and God is completely, we, we cannot understand God. There are things that we can understand about God, but our minds cannot wrap our, themselves around who God is. And here's the sad thing, right? Well, not sad thing, but uh, here's a reality do, uh, check. When we get to heaven and we're in our glorified bodies and there's no more sin, we will still not fully understand who God is. He is incomprehensible. We'll understand a whole lot more about him. But the finite, which is us, cannot understand the infinite. So God's transcendence is uh, seen in several passages of the Bible. We're going to look at two main chapters, so uh, you can keep your finger uh, in one as we go back and forth. Psalm 50 and then Isaiah 40. Psalm 50 and Isaiah 40. The first one is uh, uh, Psalm 50, verse 12. And I love this verse. Speaking about God's transcendence, he says this, God speaking, If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. 
If I'm hungry, I'm not going to say, hey, is there anything to eat? I don't need you, right? Basically, that's what God is saying, is God is saying, I'm independent of you. I don't need you, right? God is not um, incomplete without us, okay? It's not like God can't exist unless we exist. No, God is completely uh, independent of us. He does not need us, okay? Now I want you to turn, uh, keep your finger in Psalm uh, 50, uh, and Isaiah 40. I want you to turn to Isaiah 40, because Isaiah 40 is even clearer than that. And it's a long chapter. I'm not going to read uh, all the verses, but I do want to read several of them just to get a picture of how much God is unlike us and how much he is above and beyond us in our comprehension. So here is uh, Isaiah just asking a bunch of questions uh, and making a bunch of statements. Beginning in verse 12, Isaiah chapter 40 says this. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And marked off the heavens with a span, and closed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare him? And then skipping down to verse 22. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely they are planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them, And they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. God is above and beyond us. He does not need us. I think one of the saddest and most dangerous misunderstandings of the Bible is that when people think that God is like us, that he is, that he thinks and acts like we do. And I think the problem comes in because the authors of the Bible, they present God uh, with human characteristics. Uh, the eyes of God, right? The hands of God, the arm of the Lord, the, the feet of God. They, they express God with emotions such as uh, the, uh, the anger of the Lord, the uh, sadness that the Lord was grieved, or the joy uh, that the Lord has. These characteristics, by divine inspiration, were meant to help us to understand God. They were not there to help us uh, to uh, fully describe who God is. It is the author speaking in human terms because that's the only way that we understand that. And yet many conclude that God thinks and acts just like we do. They think that because they are, quote-unquote, good people, and they would react in a certain way this way, that God would and should react in the same way. 
Well, this is what I would do if I were God. Here's some examples of what they might say. I would personally never send someone to hell. Therefore, God would not send anyone to hell. I would certainly never tell someone who they could or could not love. Therefore, God would not tell someone who they could or could not love. I would certainly never tell a young boy who identifies as a girl that that's wrong. Therefore, God would not do that either. We think that God is like us, and nothing could be further from the truth. If you still have your finger in Psalm chapter 50, look at verse 21. Psalm 50, verse 21, God addresses this very thing. Here's what he says. These things you have done, and I've been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. God is saying, you thought that I was like you, and you were so wrong. God is not like us. And here's what I want to say about that. Be very, very thankful for that. Be very, very thankful for the fact that God is not like us, right? Because if God was like us, he would be a very weak and unimpressive God. And he would not be one who would command much respect. God is not like us. And be thankful that we can't wrap our minds around him because he's so much more glorious than we could ever imagine. But I want to say this. Just because God is above and beyond us does not mean that God is indifferent towards us. God is not like, I'm God, I don't even care about you. No, God is with us. In fact, God is not only transcendent above and beyond us, God is also imminent meaning that he is intimately involved with this world that he has created and sustains. God is intimately involved in the lives of his most precious creation, humanity. Psalm 50, once again, we see not only the transcendence of God, we also see his imminence, his intimate involvement with us. Beginning once again in verse 12 of of Psalm 50 through 15, he says this, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. I do not, uh, do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. And listen to this. This is the imminence of God, the fact that he's right there with us. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Did you hear that? God is way beyond us. If I'm hungry, I'm not going to ask you. But what does he say? Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will be right there. I'll be right there. He is with us. Turn one more time to Isaiah chapter 40. Once again, we see both the transcendence and the imminence of God in this chapter. We've already talked about the transcendence. Remember, he's talking about the rulers of this world. They're nothing. They're emptiness. He blows on them and they go away. The nations are like a drop in the bucket, like dust on the scales that that the scales can't even measure because they have no weight, right? That's what he's like. I am way above and beyond you. That's the transcendence of God. Now listen to his intimate involvement in his creation. This chapter of, of Isaiah 40 actually begins and ends with God intimately involved in our lives. Here's what he says in verse 1 and 2. Comfort, 
Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Do you hear that tenderness? Comfort, comfort my people. I know that you're distressed. I want a message of comfort coming to you. Speak tenderly to her, not harshly. Your sins have been pardoned. That's God being intimately involved. And then he finishes uh, in, in verse 28 through 31, which is uh, familiar to many people. Listen to this. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow weary. Uh, his understanding is unsearchable. That's the transcendence of God. He is unlike you. And then what does it say? He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isn't that awesome? God is inherently worthy of our praise because he is above and beyond us and because he is also with us. This description of God being blessed or blessed is used several times in other passages in the New Testament. I want you to look at uh, a couple of them with me. The first is if you can turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 beginning in verse uh, 24. Uh, this uh, passage speaks to the uh, transcendence of God. It uses the same word blessed, that same uh, descriptive word, that adjective, to describe God. The problem in chapter 1 is that the wrath of God is being poured out because humanity looked at the creation, looked at the world and said, nah, I'm not going to serve the God who made this. I don't even believe that there is a God. And they worshipped and served other things rather than God. And so here's what it says. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. They worshipped and served the created order rather than the creator who is inherently worthy of praise because of who he is and what he does. Sinful men missed the majesty and glory of God who is beyond and above them. Luke chapter 1 is our next passage. If you can turn there, verses 67 through 69. This, is, uh, this talks about the imminence of God, the fact that he is right there with us. Uh, the story is of John the Baptist, the birth of John the Baptist. Uh, his mother, uh, Elizabeth, and his father, Zacharias, had been trying to have children for years and years and years and never had been able to, all in the design of God, because God had a very special plan for them, that they would actually give birth to the forerunner to the Messiah, the one who would come on the scene and say, hey, the one that we've been waiting for all these years is here. John the Baptist had that privilege. And so uh, Zechariah, his father, uh, is mute uh, during his uh, wife's whole pregnancy. And then his mouth is opened and he praises God. And here's what he says. And his father, Zechariah, 
or Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, Blessed, inherently worthy of praise be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Inherently worthy of praise is God because he has visited us. He has redeemed us. He has saved us. God is intimately involved in our lives. The last passage before we return to Ephesians chapter 1 and close for today is 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, and I'm going to ask you to turn there. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Once again, we see the same word that is used. He starts off, and listen to how similar this passage sounds to our Ephesians uh, passage that we're going to be getting into. First Peter 1, 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. As you will see over the next couple of weeks, as we go through Ephesians, this sounds very similar to that. First Peter, uh, Peter talks about God as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So does Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Peter talks about salvation. Paul also does in verse 13 of Ephesians 1. Peter talks about this glorious inheritance that will not fade away. Paul does the same thing in verse 11 and 14 of Ephesians chapter 1. These and other truths are what you and I are going to be exploring over the next several weeks. And what we will see is this. We will see that we, that God has chosen us. That God has adopted us. That God has redeemed us. That God has forgiven us. That God has sealed us with his Holy Spirit and given us a guarantee of a glorious inheritance. And because of all of this and more, he is inherently worthy of our praise. And as we close, I just want to get really practical with you. And I want to talk about Christianity. I want to talk about what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian means that you have given your life to Jesus. You are not a Christian just because you come to church. Okay? You should come to church. But coming to to church does not make you a Christian. You are also not a Christian because your parents are Christians. Okay? It is not inherited genetically. Alright? It's not passed down through the genes. My mom and dad were Christians, therefore I must be a Christian. Neither is it in the family inheritance, right? My mom and dad died, I guess I get their Christianity. No. It's not passed down that way. Okay? Christianity you're not, let me say this too. You're not even a Christian if you just simply believe that God exists. We've seen this in, in James chapter 1. Even the demons believe that God exists. Being a Christian means that you confess, first of all, that God is real. That God does exist. And it, it means that you confess that God is perfect. And that God demands perfection from every one of us. Perfection all the time. 
And without that perfection, you will be separated from God forever and ever. You must be perfect from the cradle to the grave, so to speak. Never sinning at all. It also means that you, are, you understand that you're not able to do that. That there's no way. Wait, that's the, the standard is perfect? You, you will always fall short. And remember that God does not grade on a curve, right? It's not, where at, what end of the curve are you on? No, God does not grade on a, on a curve. You have to be perfect. You have to get straight A's, so to speak, all the time. 100% on every test, quiz, homework assignment, right? You have to be perfect. When you realize this, what happens is that you confess your sins. You confess that you failed, that you confess that you'll never measure up, and you cry out for a Savior. You cry out for someone to save you, and that Savior is Jesus. And by believing in Jesus, believing that Jesus lived the life that you could not live, he never sinned, he never lied, never uh, was selfish, never lusted, because he lived that perfect life and then died the death that you and I deserve. When he died, he was punished for every lie that you ever told, every lustful thought that you ever had, every selfish act that you ever did. Jesus was punished by the Father because of all of those things that you did. Your sin was put on him, and his perfect life was then placed on you. And when God looks at you, he sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And because of that, you are accepted into his family. You are no longer separated from God. You are a member of his family. And here's what I want to say. If you have not done this, if you have not believed in him, then none of the things that I have said or will say in the upcoming weeks apply to you. None of them apply to you. You have not been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You have not been adopted into the family of God. You have not been redeemed. You have not been forgiven. You have not been sealed with the Holy Spirit guaranteeing a future inheritance. You have not, but you can, but you can. And that's what I want to drill home right now. You can leave here knowing that you have been chosen by God. You can leave here today knowing that you are adopted into his family, that you are redeemed, that you are forgiven, that you are sealed with his Holy Spirit as a guarantee of a future inheritance that is reserved in heaven for you that can never be taken away. All you need to do is believe. Believe that Jesus, believe in Jesus, believe what he has done for you. And then you pray and say, Jesus, come into my life. Take away my sin. The only thing that is separating me from God, take away my sin and make me new. And if you pray that prayer, then you will be saved. Jesus will come into your life. The Holy Spirit will seal you. You will have been forgiven. You will be redeemed you will be adopted into the family of God and you will have full inheritance rights. And so what I want to urge you to do is if you haven't done it, do it today. Don't delay. Come talk to me. I don't care who else I'm talking to or what I'm doing. I will drop everything uh, I am doing. Um, come talk to me. I want to share with you the life-saving message of Jesus. Do not leave this place. You're not guaranteed another day. Not even guaranteed another hour or minute. Do it today. Let's pray. Father, we thank and praise you for who you are. We thank you.
for this wonderful message of the book of Ephesians, Lord, the, the wonderful truths that we're going to start to get into next week as we see what it means to be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And I pray, God, that you would open up our, our minds and our hearts to see everything. And I pray that your praise would be continually on our lips, um, that we would be singing your praises and telling others about how amazing you are, that we would be grabbing our neighbors and our fellow students and our uh, fellow employees at work and saying, I got to tell you, I got to tell you about this amazing, amazing God. And I just pray that um, we would be honoring you by talking about you all the time. Lord, as we commune together uh, at your table, I pray that you would nourish us spiritually. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.